0: Hello, how are you? Welcome along to episode five of Call of the Wild, the podcast from WWF with yours truly, Kel Spellman, where I find out about the threats to our planet and more importantly, how we can fight back. Now friends, this month, it's the big one. Oh yes, it is all about climate. Now it is no secret that climate change is happening. It is a fact and it is destroying our world And if you sat there listening and go, that comes as a bit of a surprise, I do not know where you've been hiding over the last 10, 15, 20 years. Here's a fact for you. There's more carbon dioxide in our atmosphere now than at any other time in human history. In just a single lifetime, we've seen and continue to see important forests be wiped out Unpredictable weather patterns, the air become filled with harmful emissions and all of this is creating a hotter and increasingly unstable planet. Transport plays a big role in this. It is the single biggest source of UK emissions. Get this, but only 6% of the global population has ever stepped foot on a plane and only 50% of the UK fly in any given year. So in this episode, I'm going to be joined by singer and songwriter Birdie on her efforts to live and work more sustainably.
1: Just being in lockdown actually and not being able to travel has kind of made us all more aware of how much maybe we don't really need to for a lot of things.
0: I'll also be chatting with the brilliant Gareth Redmond King, former head of climate
2: at WWF UK to find out the extent of the problem. We've seen increasing levels of extreme weather as the, the climate system becomes more unstable. We see storms happening not just every year, but several times a year. Plus, we'll be finding out
0: how to cut our carbon footprint and discovering green ways to travel. The thing that is really driving the climate crisis is carbon dioxide emissions, or you might have heard the term as greenhouse gases. These are heating up our planet. These emissions are behind almost everything in our lives, not just travel, from our internet usage to our banks. Now, when I was at school, we talked about global warming. Then it was all about climate change, but now it's a climate crisis. But what does that actually mean? It was a question that I asked Gareth Redmond King, the former head of climate at WWF UK.
2: It's the the really striking fact that we've moved from one era into another quite recently. That humans on this planet we've lived in a sort of stable Garden of Eden for for twelve thousand years, when temperature has gone up and down only within one degree centigrade. And then within the last hundred years, because of things that we've done as humans, that temperature change has gone up by more than one degree. So it's kind of it's the rate at which we are driving change that is what's pushing us towards it being a crisis. It, it's just how much the planet is heating up the threat that that's posing to to species and to people around the world the fact that we're not acting fast enough yet and the fact that ultimately this becomes existential for us as a species those are the those are the things that for me make this a crisis
0: I feel now it's widely accepted, thankfully and finally, that this is an emergency, including by the UK government. And one thing that summed up that for me was the Paris Climate Agreement in 2015, a commitment from 197 countries to get emissions under control. Here's what it's all about.
3: Our home, planet Earth, is on fire. If carbon emissions continue to rise, things will only get hotter and life and the planet as we know it will continue to change at an ever faster and more dangerous rate. In 2015, global leaders met in Paris and reached a landmark agreement to fight climate change. And so the Paris Agreement was created. But what does it mean? The Paris Agreement's central aim is to significantly reduce the risks and impacts of climate change by keeping a global temperature rise to well below 2 degrees Celsius by the end of the century. Plus, nations need to pursue efforts to limit the temperature increase even further to 1.5 degrees Celsius. So, by the year 2100, we need to stop the global temperature from increasing by more than 1.5 degrees Celsius. And that starts with cutting carbon emissions right now. We can't wait until 2030 or even 2025. Greenhouse gas emissions, of which carbon dioxide is the biggest and perhaps best known, come from burning fossil fuels. That's coal, gas and oil. These greenhouse gases act like a blanket around our planet. They're essential for life to exist. But the more and more greenhouse gases we pump into the atmosphere, the thicker the blanket, making Earth hotter and hotter. We already see serious impacts now, including threatening extinction for one in six species globally. And if we go beyond 1.5 degrees, and especially beyond 2 degrees Celsius, then we'll experience some severe impacts. Extreme weather, for example, and some countries will experience extreme drought leading to crop failure and even making parts of our planet uninhabitable. It's not a pretty picture, but we can all make a positive difference. Even if all of the commitments under the Paris Agreement are delivered, we're currently on track for a rise of three degrees by the end of the century. Countries are making stronger commitments now and stepping up ambition, but we've still got some work to do.
0: Well, safe to say we most certainly do. So that's what went down in 2015. Now, have we stuck to everything we said then? I'm not entirely sure. I think if you were to go away and maybe do some digging, you'd maybe see that not much has happened since then. But we've got something coming up called COP26 and we're hosting it in the UK this year, in Glasgow, to be precise. Now COP26 will be the biggest summit the UK has ever hosted. It's likely going to be the most significant climate event since the 2015 Paris Agreement. Now we'll find out about the progress that's been made since the Paris Agreement and hopefully there will be some new and much needed vital decisions on how to cut carbon emissions and turn the tide on the climate crisis. I don't know about you, but I for one definitely want to avoid going beyond a rise of 1.5 degrees. Gareth, it's pretty bleak if we don't stick to the targets from the Paris Agreement, isn't it?
2: As we've seen in recent years in this country, in the US, in you know, all parts of the world, we've seen increasing levels of extreme weather as the, the climate system becomes more unstable. We see storms happening not just uh, every year, but several times a year we're seeing impacts on on species as some you know animals and birds and insects move to find food or the the temperature and the landscape have changed you know so it affects their ability to 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 breed and to survive we're seeing and will increasingly see um, sea level rises as ice sheets at the poles melt. But we talk about it now because, you know, it's not doom and gloom. It's not, you know, it's not a given that this has to happen. We we have the time. We have the the means. We also need to be galvanised by the hope that we can still, you know, we can still tackle this. We do still know how to tackle this and we do still have time. Tell you what, Gareth, you made for this podcast. <laughs> Travel, I'm guessing, is one of the
0: biggest contributors to these carbon emissions and and greenhouse gases that we're talking about.
2: Yeah, I mean here in the UK, um transport emissions it's the single biggest um contributing factor. It's about 28% Of the emissions that we, the the greenhouse gas emissions here in the UK. Right. Globally, it's a bit lower, but it's still pretty high. It's 14% globally. It's because, in order to move most of our um, means of transport, we burn oil. The troubling thing with this as well here in the UK is that, you know, we've been getting to grips with emissions from power generation here in the UK, but transport hasn't been falling in the way it needs to. It's a big one, this, because It feels like the minute this
0: conversation is raised, we kind of go straight to the aviation industry and then everyone's saying, well, you shouldn't be flying. Is there a balance that can be
2: found? One thing to say about that 28% is actually very little of that is flying. That's mostly our surface transport because because of the way that we count uh, emissions um, under the Paris Agreement. We actually only include domestic aviation. But thinking of many of the people who, who might be listening to this, I don't think it's fair to say we all have to stop flying. So 1% of people globally, 1%, Um, are responsible for half of the aviation emissions. What? So that means that there is a small number of people doing an awful lot of flying, you know, flying very routinely, whether that's domestically or internationally. Um, And it's not people going on one holiday a year or one holiday every couple of years. That is mad. Yeah, I mean...
0: As far as on a broader sense then, when it comes to our travel and, and also aviation comes into that, are the solutions out there for us maybe to
2: move towards
0: a more sustainable way of travel as a country as a whole?
2: Firstly, it would be good if we had fewer cars on the roads at all because actually they take up a lot of space and carry very few people we need to replace those cars with electric vehicles where we do need vehicles on the road we need them to be powered by renewable electricity because it's obviously no good putting coal powered electricity into your car that's still emissions (laughs) so so yes we know what you need to do to make a town or city welcoming and safe for people to to walk and to cycle more we could do with getting smaller cars would you believe last year, globally, SUVs, sports utility vehicles, these great big tanks that that people drive around towns and cities, globally, they were the second biggest uh, driver if you'll forgive the pun, behind increase (laughs) in carbon emissions last year. wow! Only the global power sector was a bigger driver of the increase in emissions last year. So yeah, we've got the solutions for surface transport, much harder for aviation. Who would you say
0: mainly the responsibility falls on to implement these things that we've talked about, Gareth? Because speaking from experience, and this was very recently, I needed to get a new car. It was so expensive for me to have an electric car. I was looking at minimum 20 to 25 grand I've tried to make the responsible decision as the consumer, but the the framework, so to speak, wasn't in place for me to, to have that, to make that decision. So
2: where does the responsibility fall? It's a, it's a mixture. To some extent, it falls. Obviously, it falls to government to kind of drive this at the start. Um, and then, you know, business picks up the baton and runs with it. And, and these things become affordable. That's the pattern we see over and over. We've seen it with renewable electricity. So if we were having this conversation just even a decade ago, there would have been people people scoffing at the idea that we would have had a third of our electricity being generated from renewables here in the UK. And actually, what government did was it provided subsidy, it provided the regulatory framework and the policy, it sent really important signals to the market that this was uh, something it was committed to. And that's what we need to see with, with, with electric vehicles. And hooray, we've just had one by government saying we're going to ban the sale of petrol and diesel cars in twenty thirty. That's a huge signal to the market to say, get your finger out, make these vehicles, make them affordable, because otherwise you haven't got a market in 10 years' time. They need to do more of that to make it cheaper, easier, um, and, and more accessible. What else can, can we be doing as individuals,
0: do you think, when it comes to travel, what, what choices can we be making to, to help make a difference?
2: The answer to any question of what we can do as individuals comes down to our choices and our voices. So we have to raise our voices to politicians about all of this. But yes, there are are choices we can make uh, around around driving less, cycling, walking. That's a nice easy solution if you live in a city, particularly a city that is doing good stuff around putting infrastructure in to make it safer. Obviously, that's a lot harder out in rural areas where there are much bigger distances. But that's when it comes down to voices as well. You shouldn't have to rely solely on own a great big car to get from A to B because you don't live in a city. There should be decent public transport provision, and that's where it comes to our voices. But not just raising your voice to, to government and to businesses, the people who are most influential. Um, in our lives are our friends and family. So talk to your friends about it, talk to your family about it. That's how you kind of, you know, that's how you, how you have a knock-on effect as well and help other people to make changes and help other people to raise their voices and to make their voices heard to politicians and to businesses.
0: Thank you so much to the brilliant Gareth Redmond King from WWF UK. Now, I say it a lot here on Call of the Wild and actually generally in my day-to-day, but I say it because I wholeheartedly believe in it people power now we'll have more carbon crunching tips for you at the end of the podcast and coming up don't forget i'm going to be speaking to singer-songwriter birdie about her sustainable journey the climate crisis isn't something that's happening in a few decades time people are living through the changes and the impacts of those changes right now For instance, those who rely on regular seasons and weather, whether that is for work or for the indigenous way of life. This is having devastating effects all around the world. Here on Call of the Wild, we reached out to people whose lives are being directly impacted by the changing climate. Now, I would like to introduce to Call of the Wild Martina Fjellberg, who is a 21-year-old student studying biology and geoscience and is also a Sami reindeer herder the sami people are indigenous to norway finland russia and sweden which is where martina is from now i've learned herding reindeer is very much dictated by weather patterns but they are proving harder and harder to predict for martina and her family as she explains
4: so i grew up in a reindeer herding family it's been in my family for centuries reindeer herding is a big part of uh, not only my life but my whole family's life first of all the reindeer uh, is an it's an arctic animal during the winter this reindeer is down at the mountains and gathering foods and stuff because there's more food uh, down in the forest but the, when it gets warmer and the snow starting to melt they move up the mountain because they want to get relief from the heat because in the forest it's much more warmer They're on the treeless parts of the mountain. And we can actually see a difference in moving patterns uh, with it because of the seasons changing, because of climate change. We see that the reindeer, when it moves up the mountain or down the mountain, it's changing. So now, because our lives revolve around the reindeer, it's harder for us to kind of plan out when we, are for example, during the summer, we gather the reindeer. Uh, and we mark Mm. the reindeer calves. And we usually do this uh, in the summer around the beginning of July, but now we don't really know with as much certainty as we did before when it's going to be, because of the seasons changing, because of climate change. So for most of the reindeer herders, we have different jobs and we do different things because having reindeer herding as a sole income is really hard today. So when we're marking the reindeer calves, we have to Uh, take time off work and that usually is something that you have to say months in advance when you're going to have to have time off but because we don't really know before like a week in advance when we're going to mark the reindeer calves we can't do that the reindeer calves are born in the spring in around may like beginning of june and because of last year it was really really cold in may a lot of reindeer costs didn't make it. A lot of them died because it was so cold. And I felt quite down last year because I had a significant amount of less reindeer calves than I usually do. The changes that I would like to see, the first of all, the biggest one is that people actually start taking climate change seriously. Like it's something that's happening now and affecting me as a person now. I hear a lot of people talk about it, like it's a future problem but it's not. And then one of the other things that's really important in Sweden, is so ridiculous that it's like 2021, but we still haven't gotten our rights as an indigenous people in Sweden. The message I would like everyone to listen to is listen to indigenous people. We have lived with nature for thousands of years and we are the natural caretakers of the land. We know it like no other people do. And we are so deeply connected to the nature that if nature is hurting, so are we as a people.
0: Massive thank you to Martina for sharing her experiences. We have so much to listen and learn from indigenous communities like Martina's all around the world. Alongside slashing our emissions, nature has a key role to play in our fight back. Leading scientists estimate that the Amazon rainforest absorbs over one billion tonnes of carbon dioxide per year. That's three times the UK's emissions in 2018. Clearly, we need to keep forests around the world standing. But it's not just forests and trees. For example, it's estimated that seagrass could capture carbon up to 35 times faster than tropical rainforests. So by restoring seagrass, we can help absorb carbon and tackle climate change as well as benefiting wildlife. And WWF are already well on the way in doing this. They are working to restore nature and tackle the climate crisis. In the Amazon, they have equipped communities with drones and other equipment to monitor and protect land to help halt deforestation. They're also working with partners to restore seagrass around the UK. Plus, they're putting pressure on governments and businesses to cut greenhouse gas emissions and build a greener future. And we can help do the same. I'm now joined by the talented singer and songwriter Birdie. Birdie grew up in the countryside, surrounded by nature, and it has been a huge inspiration to her music. Recently, she started to take steps towards living and working more sustainably. So my first question to Birdie was, when did she first realise that we were living with a changing climate?
1: I mean, obviously, like at school, that was something we were taught about a little bit. You know, we're taught to recycle and to not create too much waste yeah exactly that's what it was (laughs) pretty much that was it but I feel like it's been very recent that it's felt more like a crisis and for me it was Greta Thunberg becoming this public figure and suddenly realizing how urgent it is and like I guess small things like changes that have been happening like plastic straws being banned having to pay for plastic bags like little things like that that started to make us all be more aware like I think you can start to feel really guilty when you feel like you're not doing enough and that almost can have a negative effect because you just feel like, oh, well, I don't know what to do, so I won't do anything. So I think just like doing small things, like making sure you're recycling, or like I always do a lot of my shopping in charity shops, you know, vintage shops. I kind of prefer that anyway because you get more interesting stuff. But I just think small things like that are really good.
0: Yeah. Do you know, we well, our last episode was actually on. Fashion and fast fashion, so uh, you'd have been ticking a lot of the boxes for <laughs> our experts on the vintage shopping and, and, and second-hand shopping. We're here kind of talking in general around climate, but in particular a focus on travel. And I guess, you know, the, the elephant in the room is, in, for, for both of us, you know, you in particular as a touring musician, travel is a big part of your work. Do you feel that kind of bit of a battle, particularly where you've kind of maybe become more understanding within this space of going gosh that that is not great for the planet and I kind of want to be doing my bit but I have to do it it's a, it's a tough place to find yourself in i can i can imagine
1: yeah i mean i think just being in lockdown actually and not being able to travel has kind of made us all more aware of how much maybe we don't really need to for a lot of things i mean i remember for my first record i travel so much you know go to paris a lot and just for a few interviews which is That is something that you could definitely do from home. With touring, obviously, it's really difficult because you sort of have to be flying and that's one of the worst things that you can be doing. But I think it's as long as you're sort of planning your routes a bit more carefully. That's something I'd like to look at when I'm next touring is just making sure you're not going back and forth too much and kind of making the most of your trips. But it is really difficult. It's something we're all starting to learn. It's hard because we like live in this world where we're so dependent on flying and using plastic. I think it's just adjusting and using your time better and mm-hmm. just being more conscious, I think.
0: And and I guess as well as compromising in a little bit, and and you kind of said there about maybe doing unnecessary trips back and forth. Do you, Have you found or looked at, well, you know, found within the last year, any other places in which maybe there can be compromises made that aren't actually going to still impact though on you releasing an album or going on tour.
1: Actually, last month we did this live stream concert, which was really amazing. And I mean, you don't get the same energy, obviously, like from (laughs) when you have an audience there, that's the best feeling ever. But it was really fun to do something that was like quite cinematic and a bit different. And it kind of showed me that you can do other things and, and maybe you know, doing a little bit more of that would be a good thing. Definitely things are starting to change. Like even now releasing this record or the merch, we had recyclable vinyl, and which was really cool. And I've been hearing about Billie Eilish touring and how she like won't allow any plastic on any of her tours, which is so cool, I think. Um, yeah. And like I haven't actually toured for five years now, so when I am going to be touring again, I'd love to look into doing a bit more of that.
0: And and another one, which I think was probably one of the biggest and boldest statements I've seen a musician make, was about Coldplay kind of saying that they're not going to tour now until they can tour and it's going to be carbon neutral. I guess, you know, if you've got someone like Coldplay making a kind of stance like that, that will then inspire, do you think, not just the musicians, but actually, you know, the management and the staff within labels to maybe take note and and follow suit. Do you think they're also forthcoming to the... conversation and kind of willingness to yeah we we can all play our part here yeah
1: I mean I think we could be doing more but I think yeah it's got to be like a group effort and everybody's (laughs) got to be on the same page but I feel like there is change happening and definitely everyone's more aware I think which is great
0: when you say that we feel that they could do more what little areas do you think possibly they could be looking to improve on?
1: I think like stuff like with the merch, like making sure that's a standard thing. Also with Billie Eilish, she did something really amazing at her tours. Like, I think she had like eco domes where people could come and like her fans could go and educate themselves about the climate crisis, which is amazing. Great. Like just cool ideas like that, that we could be doing would be amazing.
0: I feel like with birdie, though, I think we'd be missing a trick if we didn't do something around, like maybe Avery, you know, like an Avery yeah, kind of pod or something. It's just a load of birds I love around. That
1: idea. <laughs> I'm definitely going to do that.
0: (laughs) yeah i'm like that if anyone on your labels listens to this conversation now make it happen yeah for yourself birdie you know you've 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 amassed such a following and and rightly so for for your music do you feel that responsibility of kind of wanting to almost lead by example a bit or you know kind of try and inspire change to your followers yeah
1: well i think we're all kind of responsible in in doing that and just talking to our friends i do more and more and it's quite a recent thing for me and that's something I'm still learning and like sort of educating myself on how to do that and making the changes with myself first. But I think, yeah, it's good to have a conversation about it.
0: Are there any other kind of things that like interest you or you think I'd maybe like to give that a go to reduce our carbon footprint?
1: Well, I'm a bit guilty because I have this old vintage car, which (laughs) I don't drive very much. And that's why I kind of feel like it's okay for now because I'm I'm such a nervous driver that I like, <laughs> literally will just drive to like the nearest town and back and I'm like that's enough for one day but I, I would like to maybe look at having an electric car if I am driving more or just getting rid of my car because I probably don't need it I'm like not a good enough driver but yeah I think that's something I could look at
0: When looking to the future do you still feel quite hopeful and optimistic about the future?
1: Yeah I think yeah I do um <laughs> that didn't sound very convincing <laughs> <did it>? The <laughs> slight quiver
2: yeah.
1: um, I mean even like this conversation is not something that would have probably been happening a few years ago which is that's amazing and the rise of people like Greta and just to spread the message especially to the younger generation just for it to be a subject that can be talked about and that people want to talk about is, is really great I think it's gradual but it is happening
0: Thank you to the brilliant birdie there What are the tangible things we can do to cut down on carbon? Now, as you know, if you've listened to the other episodes, WWF's app, it's called My Footprint, is a great place to start if you're looking for some inspiration to make a difference, to find those tangible things that are well within our power and means to do so. When it comes to carbon, you could calculate your footprint, literally. Check your carbon consumption and find out about the lifestyle changes you can make to stop climate change and decrease your footprint you could go vehicle free. Try travelling somewhere by bike, on foot or by scooter. Remember to turn off. So simple but so obvious. Wasting energy means more has to be produced, which means burning more fossil fuels. So one easy thing to do is turn off TVs, chargers, lights, any electrical item when you're not using them, switch them off. And that's not all. Let's hear from you lovely lot about your simple but sustainable tips.
4: I'm a flexitarian, so when I do want to eat meat, I go to my local butcher with my own containers to avoid any kind of packaging.
0: I limit myself to one international flight every year. Unfortunately, because I live in a flat, I can't install things like solar panels. But what I did do is make sure that my energy provider provides my flat with 100% renewable energy so that I can play my part. Thank you for sharing those. And remember, if you're listening and going, you know what, Kel, I've got a top tip I'd like to share. Send it our way. It's very simple. You can just voice note and send that voice note to call of the wild at wwf.org.uk. So please keep them coming in, and you never know, you might just hear your voice on Call of the Wild. And there we have it, we've arrived at the end of another episode thank you for listening and joining me on this journey and a massive thank you to our guests gareth redmond king martina fjellberg and birdie now next time i'm sad to say it's our last episode of the series we're going to be looking at rewilding how we can put our green fingers to the test and of course i'll be joined by another special guest but If you can't wait that long, do not forget, there is a bonus episode in two weeks' time. It features more of my chat with Birdie, which we couldn't fit into this episode, so please do check it out. It is well worth your time. And if two weeks is still too long, then don't worry, Kel's got you covered. Just head over to YouTube because WWF have a channel that is full of content about the awesome work they do to combat these issues we talk about in Call of the Wild. It's WWF UK's YouTube channel, and on there you're going to find a playlist of extra content called Call of the Wild. This is a Fresh Air production for WWF, and please do subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. Plus, it really helps the podcast. The Wild is calling, it's time to act.